I want to talk this morning about a topic when you, you kind of mention the topic. Sometimes people think, oh no, that topic. And it's the topic of um, shame and what shame does to us. And it's a topic that gets addressed in the good news of the gospel. Do you know that everything that Jesus did and did for us in his life, his death and his resurrection has produced a solution to the things that most ail us and hold us back. And I would say that in talking about shame and looking at shame, it has to be one of the topics that holds the believer back in quite a potent way. And so we're going to unpack what shame is and unpack how to walk out of shame. I don't know if you've seen the TV show Bear Grylls, The Island. Have you ever watched that? SAS guy, Bear Grylls, takes a bunch of ordinary men and women onto an island. And the, the show begins in episode one. He drops off this, this bunch of ordinary people onto the island and they always get dropped off in the swampland. They get dropped off and they find themselves in the swamp. And every series, I think there's been six series, no one has tried to make a home in the swamp. Because in the swamp, there's literally no food, there's no light, there's no water, you, you can't make a shelter. And so every series begins with, we've got to get out of the swampland. We've got to navigate our way to the beach, because on the beach... You can make a home, there's water, there's food, you can make shelter, we can make a life on the beach, a community on the beach, but we can't do that if we stay in the swampland. And so there's often comic moments where someone rises up and says, I'm going to lead you out of the swamp, and then kind of leads them around sometimes forever as they're trying to find their way to the beach. Shame has been described as the swampland of the soul. The swampland of the soul. And shame is a lethal and deadly thing. And shame, if it's not dealt with, has the capacity to shape and influence and control everything in a human heart. Shame has the capacity to shape how we see ourselves. It has the capacity to shape and influence how we view God. Shame has the power to influence how we see our circumstances and how we see one another. People who find themselves locked into the swampland of the, of the soul, shame, really struggle to dream. Uh, we looked at that last week. Shame can shape people's expectations. Shame is even as powerful to influence who a person will marry even the expectations about the job I'm able to do, even hopes around what God can do in my life. Shame is the swampland. You don't want to live in the swampland, do you? There's no water there, there's no light there, there's no food there, there's no shelter there. We need to get out of the swampland of the soul. The first question, though, you might be thinking is, what is shame? What is shame? The, the most fundamental basic need for you and I is genuine and deep connection with other people. 
We, we need to be in community. We need to be in relationship. We need to be known. That's our most fundamental basic need is, is community. That's why the church is such an incredible gift of grace from Jesus. That he didn't just connect us to himself. He also connected us to one another, to community, to a family, to belonging. And shame is the greatest enemy of genuine and deep connection. Shame is like an acid that corrodes and destroys and prevents and stops genuine and deep community connection and family. And so shame is an intensely painful feeling... Shame is an intensely painful feeling of believing that fundamentally I am unworthy of belonging. Shame is that sense that a person carries within them that somehow I am less than, I am flawed and I am then or thus unable to really truly connect and belong to other people. Now guilt and shame are two totally different things. Guilt is, I have done something wrong. I made a mistake, I feel guilty because I said something, or because I didn't do something... I feel guilty about something I have done. It's very easy to wrap words around guilt. Shame is not, I have done something wrong. Shame is an identity statement that says, I am wrong. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Shame speaks to the human soul and says, you are wrong, your identity is that you are flawed. Not just I did something flawed or not perfect, I am flawed. Shame can make us believe identity statements like, I am a mistake. That somehow I failed to achieve some ideal... Now I am bad. That's what shame says. Shame leaves us with messages that say there is something profoundly wrong with me. There's something profoundly wrong with me. Shame speaks to your identity. So you might be thinking, how how do I find myself in the swampland? How do I find myself in my own soul thinking, do you know what, I recognise some of those identity statements is where I live. How do we find ourselves in the swampland? How do we find ourselves with such a, a perspective on our value, our worth? How do we find ourselves in a place where we think, I, I cannot connect to other people, I'm not worthy to connect, I'm not worthy to truly belong. Shame can grab us and bring us into the swampland because of something that happened to us. 
something that happened to us. Shame can can drag us into the swampland because we we went through a divorce because somebody rejected us because somebody found somebody else because somebody spoke abusively to us or did abusive things to us it's something that happened to us shame can come because we ventured to do something in business and the business didn't work the way we thought it would work and then we can think I am less than I haven't just made a mistake in this business I am now a mistake it's an identity statement shame can be because of things that we did shame can come because of things that we didn't do the thing that we wished we had said the thing that we wished we had articulated but we never said it and now we feel it's too late and now I can't and so I'm less than and I'm not worthy to connect and to belong shame speaks to your identity I would say for a shaming experience for me was um, we, we waited eight years to go to the nations and we went to the nations and it didn't work out the way we would hoped and the way we would have liked it to have worked out and we came back that can that can feel like a shaming experience it wasn't just oh it can make you feel less than so shame can happen because of things that happen to us I can't get the job that I'm qualified to I'm doing a job that's that I'm more qualified for, that every day going to work can be a shaming experience. But shame can also happen, not just because of things that happened to us, or we did, but shame can also happen because of the messages that we marinate in. You know, we marinate food to get a flavour, don't we? You know, we marinate, it sounds like I can cook, but I can't. (laughs) I just know that you marinate chicken if you want chicken to have a rich taste. And we live in a culture and we live maybe in families or we live in workplaces where we marinate in messages. Where we hear things like, you're not good enough. You're not special enough. You're not smart enough heard about one guy who'd walk in a room and he would look around and see and rank people according to their intelligence and if he felt he was the most intelligent person in the room he felt worthy to connect and to belong in that room if he looked around and saw oh well this one's a PhD and this one's a doctor and this one's this he felt less than and he suddenly felt unworthy to connect and to belong because he didn't think he was smart enough to truly connect and to truly belong it can be I don't think I'm um, pretty enough or spiritual enough to connect and to belong and to be accepted. So they're the kind of things that get us into the swampland. And we might be thinking, then why on earth do we even stay in the swampland? Okay, if there's no water there and there's no light there and there's no food there and you can't make a shelter there, why on earth would we spend our lives in the swamp land. 
Why on earth would, would we spend our lives in a place that's so uncomfortable and so difficult? So, connection and belonging is our most fundamental basic need. That's what we, as human beings, connection and belonging is the, is the basic thing we need. But if you really want to be able to truly connect and truly belong, you have to be truly seen and truly known. So connection and belonging is what we fundamental need. And to, to have and enjoy real connection and real belonging, we have to be seen and we have to be known. Not necessarily by everyone, <clears throat> but by a, a group of people who truly know you, truly see you. Now, this is the logic. Because belonging and connection is our most basic fundamental need, liken it, say, to drinking water or eating food, because it's such a fundamental need, and disconnection, not feeling we belong, leads to emotional suffering we then choose to settle for hiding, fitting in, and performing. We settle for the swampland because we fear that if anybody truly knew me, saw me, I would be rejected because I would be a disappointment to them. So we prefer the swampland than the agony of truly being seen and truly being known by people. Amen. That shame, this, this thing, can make it absolutely unbearable to truly be seen. And so people can hide their failures, their struggles, their weakness. I'm holding it all together. That's what I want to present. But inside, the truth is, I'm really dying. But if you saw how weak I really feel, I'm terrified that you might reject me and I might not be able to connect and to belong, so I prefer to hide all that and perform. That's what shame does. And so, shame causes us to live in this swamp land where we become secretive about our flaws and that we mask and disguise who we truly are. Or to put it this way, you know the chameleon it changes colour you know in a green room it becomes green, in a yellow room it becomes yellow, it changes to fit every environment 
And some of us, we live in the swampland and we just chameleon our way through every day. When I'm here, I'm blue. When I'm here, I'm red. When I'm there, I'm yellow. I just perform so that no one will see how weak, vulnerable, scared I really am. We can see an example of this in two Galatians. Galatians 2. Like, like Peter, for example, he's really happy to eat with the Gentiles. He's really happy to, as it were, eat with the red people. Eat the food that they eat. Not impose any rules or customs onto them, but just enjoy connection and enjoy relationship with the Gentile converts to Christ. And then some really important people come from James, from Jerusalem, and Peter begins to change colour. The, the, the Gentile, the, the, the people from James are like red, and so Peter wants to become red now. Oh, we don't associate with the Gentiles, we don't eat what they eat, we, we obey the rules of Moses. And Paul confronts him to his face in front of everybody and says, Peter, you are being a hypocrite. You're not being true to the gospel. When, when the James people aren't here, you're happy to eat with the Gentiles. Now they're here, you, you, are, you are acting, you are chameleon, you are changing who you are. And that's undermining the gospel. Amen. And so he confronts him to his face. And I would say that what's going on there is, is shame for, for, for Peter. He wants to connect with the big guys, the big leaders, the big wigs from Jerusalem. And he thinks, if I want to connect to you, I've got to change who I am. And it means I've got to reject the Gentiles. He performs, he acts, he masks. And Peter is confronted by Paul. And shame has a huge price tag. Shame, shame is something that will cause a believer to really, really miss out on what God has for them. Shame is the secret killer of creativity and innovation. What will happen if it doesn't work? What will happen if I fail? What will happen if people don't like it? Shame closes you down from innovation and risk and creativity and dreaming. Amazing ideas have never been realised and never been seen because of shame. Shame hinders creativity. Some people have said, I'll never invite anybody around for a meal because what if they don't like my food? Some people have said, I'll never sing that song in public because what if people don't like it? So a song never gets sung, a meal never gets cooked. Some people have said, I'll never write a book because what if no one reads it? And what if it's not perfect? And what if the grammar's not quite right? Some people have never had the conversation they need to have. Because they think, what if I don't say it all perfectly? The greatest pain is to spend your life on the outside wondering what would have happened had I been truly seen and truly known. It's the greatest regret of the dying I never was truly seen. I was never truly known. I, I acted my way through the whole of my life. Now, 
If your worthiness and your identity is attached to what you do and you succeed, you're actually in even deeper trouble than the person who never did anything because of shame. If you succeed and you believe that your success now gives you status and identity, shame then has everything it needs to control and to hijack your whole life. You hand over your life to people-pleasing. You hand over your, your life to what will people think. And that suddenly the fear of loss makes you a slave again to shame. The truth is you can never be extraordinary enough or successful enough to silence the shame tapes. Nothing is ever enough. That you can never find your ultimate verdict from any kind of performance. If you believe I'll be enough to connect and to belong if I could just get a better job, it it won't work. If you believe I'll be worthy to connect and to belong if I could just get married, or I'd be worthy to connect and to belong if we could just have children, or I'd be worthy to connect and to belong if this dream about this thing that I want to do with God would just happen, you can never get your verdict from any circumstance, any eventuality, or any breakthrough. These things cannot break the back of shame. Because either you'll live in the swamp land of I'll be worthy when, or you'll live in the swamp land, I'm worthy now, but I'm terrified of losing it. So, to finish with the other half then, how do we walk out of the swamp land? Next, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. Do you remember in Acts, he gave his approval to Stephen being pretty much executed. He was hauling off people to prison. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So Paul is saying, look, this is my history, this is my story. I did some awful, shameful things. I did some terrible things. I persecuted, I imprisoned, I I zealously saw Christians murdered. He, He says a whole list of awful things he did that he believed he was right to do. But then he says that grace, grace comes alongside this... This empowerment from God, this supernatural revelation from God, comes alongside and begins to convince him and begins to empower him that God sees the whole thing, saw everything he had ever done and not done, and that he is now seen and completely celebrated I am what I am 
that I am liked by God, including my quirks, including my limitations, including my imperfections, including the things I did on my worst possible day. I am what I am. I am valuable. I am important. Grace comes alongside to every single person and says, it's not who you will be one day. It's not one day. It's grace comes alongside and says, it's it's today. It's not, I'll be worthy to connect them to belong when X, Y, and Z happens. I am worthy to connect and I am worthy to belong right now. Not if, not when, I am what I am now. Not when I've overcome this habit. Not when I've got this promotion. Not when my circumstances change. But right now, I am what I am. And he's saying there's no need to wrestle for it. There's no need to struggle for it. I am what I am because the ultimate verdict is already in. Hallelujah. And Paul understood that, understood that the verdict is in. I am enough to connect and to belong because the court of heaven, heaven's judgment, the highest court in the universe, has done something about everything I did, will do, or could ever do that could leave me in the swamp land. The verdict is in, I am what I am because of who he is and what he has done. I am his son, I am his daughter. I have God's complete acceptance. I've been provided with the gift of worthiness. And so we can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, 4 to 7, Paul is, is planted his church in, 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 in Corinth, and there's this whole thing about some people think Apollos is the guy, and some people are saying it's Peter's the guy, and some people are rejecting Paul and saying, Paul, you're not the real deal. You're not the, the real um, apostolic figure to us. And they're criticising and they're judging Paul. In a sense, what they're trying to do to Paul in these verses is haul him back into the court. Of, of They're trying to bring him back into court and say, we're going to prosecute you, Paul. 
We've got some accusations to bring against you, Paul. You're not as good a teacher as Apollos. You're not like Peter. We don't value you anymore. And Paul applies the gospel and applies good news into every and every situation, circumstance. Paul, when he's criticised by the Corinthians, doesn't withdraw because of shame. Because I am, I am what I am. I am who I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He doesn't withdraw. He says, I am what I am. (laughs) What you want to do by bringing me into this court does not affect my value, my worth, my significance, my worthiness. He doesn't withdraw and say, oh, I'm going to withdraw and go to the swampland of the soul. He doesn't withdraw, he doesn't disappear, he doesn't sink into the floor. And nor does he people please. He doesn't disappear, he doesn't sink into the floor, but neither does he go into people-pleasing, placating mode. Or or please, Corinthians, please, what can I do to please you? Have I in any way let you down, Corinthians? Is there anything I can adjust and do differently so that your esteem and validation and valuing of me won't be diminished? (laughs) He doesn't do that. And nor does he attack back. And say, how dare you call me this? I'm Paul. I was knocked off a horse in Damascus. I'm Paul of Tarsus. Yeah, yeah, I could have been a Shakespearean actor. I know that's what you're feeling and thinking. That's what I'm, that's kind of, I'm getting that feedback from you. That's what I'm hearing. It doesn't attack back. So who do you think you are? Corinthians. Wow, you're the ones who get drunk at the Lord's Supper. <laughs> Criticising me. You do things they don't even do in the world. <laughs> so he, he, criticism never kept him up at night. And so he never withdraw, sunk into the floor. He didn't people please. And nor did he attack. It's amazing. <laughs> Has anybody ever been at work and someone's criticised your work and then you say, I'll give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Or something goes wrong and you, you slink and disappear into the floor and say, I just, oh, I just won't be seen anymore. Or you think, I know, I'm just going to try really hard <laughs> to please everybody, which is exhausting. Paul does something completely different to this. He says, I am enough. And in a sense, he says this, I don't actually care what you think. What he says, if you read those verses, I I really don't care what you think. As far as I'm concerned, my conscience is clear. But then he goes one step further and says, do you know what? I actually don't even care what I think. (laughs) The gospel does that. I don't care what you think. I'm not going to be in your court. I'm not going to be listening to the... I'm not going to defend myself against your prosecution. But do you know what? I really don't care what I think either. He says, it is 
God who justifies me. It's an amazing posture to be in. So Paul is amazing because he he doesn't connect his accomplishments to his identity and nor does he connect his failures and sin to his identity either. Sometimes when we think we're doing well and we're overcoming, we think, wow, I've got an amazing identity. Of course I'm worthy to connect and to belong because I'm doing so well. And then we struggle or fail and we say, I'm not worthy to connect and to belong because my worthiness was attached somehow to my performance. So Paul neither attaches his accomplishments nor does he attach his failures. In effect, he says, I don't judge myself and I don't justify myself. That's the liberation of the gospel. I am worthy because the verdict is in and he loves me. That the only person whose opinion really counts looks at me and finds me more valuable than all the jewels on the earth. And yet at the same time, I think there's an openness. As far as I'm concerned, my conscience is clear. I'm hearing what you're saying, but I don't think he's actually completely accurate. But there's an openness to feedback. There's an openness to other people to have input. So this isn't like a blank card saying, I don't care what you think, I don't, only, I don't even care what I think, it's just God who justifies me, and then we just go off and live any way we want to live. Because I think there's still accountability, community, relationship. In fact, we see in the Bible, there's a whole range of feedback places. There's Balaam's donkey gave feedback. <laughs> a madman gave feedback to King David. And Jesus gives feedback. So we can see the whole range is from Jesus to a donkey we can receive feedback from. Because some people think, actually I get feedback, but it's just feedback from the Lord. That's not helpful, because actually we need feedback from one another. But even as we're receiving feedback, we're not connecting accomplishment or failure to our identity. Yeah. So his acceptance means the trial is over. So many of us live our lives thinking we're on trial every single day. And it says in the Bible that the accuser of the brethren, the brothers and sisters, accuses 24 hours a day. There isn't really anything else described of that he does anything else 24 hours a day, but he's always accusing the saints. And so many people live their lives in a courtroom, collecting evidence for their defence, while he connects, collects evidence for prosecution. And Paul is saying... My acceptance in Christ means the trial is over. I don't care what accusation you bring to draw me and drag me back into court. The court of heaven has said, not guilty, this one goes free. Because of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus did on our behalf, what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago, means the trial is over, the verdict is in, I'm free to go. And so for, for Paul... He's then able to be completely honest and authentic and vulnerable about his worst failings. That's why he's able to say, I persecuted the church of God. He can wrap words around his worst sin and his worst (coughs) failure and his worst limitation. And he can say it 
and yet not have a diminished identity and a diminished worthiness with other people. Paul wraps words around. So grace always empowers us to live honestly. It provides us with the capacity to be courageous and embrace the emotional risk of truly being seen and truly being known by a group of people. Not saying by that there's an authenticity and vulnerability with everyone, but we need authenticity and vulnerability and honesty with a group of people, with a number of people who truly see us and truly know us. That grace empowers us to bit by bit by bit by bit show who we are, both our strengths and our struggles. <coughs> Vulnerability means I won't either hide my calling and my strength and my confidence. Grace says I am what I am. Paul says I am what I am. And then he worked with that grace. and says not I but the grace of God that was with me. Grace demolishes the stronghold of false humility. Where we won't let other people see our strengths. That we allow people to see our struggles and our strengths. Our capacities, our abilities, our uniqueness and our contribution on the earth. That Jesus models perfectly. He comes back to his hometown and he says, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you what God has called me to do. That the promise in Isaiah has been fulfilled because the, 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 the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm going to show you who I am. That I'm going to set captives free. I'm going to open prison doors. I'm going to open the blind eyes. They're angry with him because he is, in effect, saying, I am the promised Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah spoke about. I'm here right now and I'm showing you who I am. And for Jesus, there's no fear of the shaming message. Who do you think you are? We have that. The UK has a culture, a stronghold, tall poppy syndrome. If anybody gets too high and thinks they're great, someone needs to chop them down. Because we love the underdog, but we do not like success. We do not want anybody to appear that they think they're better than anyone else. So in a community, there should be, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you my strengths. I'm going to show you what I carry. I'm going to show you my calling. I'm going to show you the dreams that I have. I'm not going to hide my calling and my confidence. So to land then, I wish there was a magic bullet that we could fire right now that would say you'll never ever struggle with shame again. I wish right now I could say, right, come forward if you never ever want to struggle with shame again, if you never ever want to go into the swampland of the soul again. Because the writer, doctor, researcher Brenny Brown says, as long as we care about connection... The fear of disconnection will always be a powerful force in our lives. That because we need to connect and because we need to belong and because we need family and we need community, the temptation to chameleon, to perform, to hide, to, to, to change who we are to fit can be a daily temptation. It can happen for somebody who's got it all sorted in one level of their life and then they get a promotion 
They get a new job. They've got new challenges, new opportunities, a new team. And suddenly they've got to now recognise, well, shame tapes are starting to speak to me as I enter into this new career. You know, things of, will, am I good enough? Am I capable enough? Will they like me? Can I do this job? What happens if I fail? And so we need to know how to handle those messages when they come. It can happen when people just get married and there's all the, the, the excitement and then there's, what if they're disappointed with me as a person? Do I need to hide who I am? Do I need to, to perform? I felt that was about DIY. I've told that story many times. The shame messages I received that real men can do DIY. And struggled with that shame of actually I can't even put shelves up and see things straight. And, and God broke that one day really through, um, I heard him laugh at me when a handle fell off a door that I was trying to fix. <laughs> and I thought, well, if, if you think I'm funny and you're laughing, maybe this is really, really funny. And maybe this is one of those realities that though I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, maybe the context of that was about contentment and not about DIY. <laughs> Although, God, if you want to heal me of uh, dyscalculia and the inability to see straight, I'm really open. I, I think it would, it would be one of those Red Sea parting moments, wouldn't it? <laughs> so we need, we need shame resilience. We need to know when we're in shame. We need to know how to recover quickly. You know, we need to know right now I'm in shame. Right now I've got this new opportunity, this new job, and I feel like I want to hide and withdraw. Or I feel like I want to people please. Or I feel like I want to bite back and attack back. I'm in shame right now. Why am I in shame right now? Maybe it's because I don't think I'm enough. Maybe I've got this new job and I've made a mistake and I feel that people don't think I'm adequate for it. I need to know when I'm in shame. What are the shame tapes whispering to me? And when I'm in it, you need to be kind to yourself. Like shame for a parent. You've, you, you've, I'm sure no one's ever been in this situation. You've, you've done really well. You've been patient all day. And you've, you've, been in, you've just done it well all day. And then, it, you know the bath time bit, and you think we're just about over the line, and we're just about over the line, and then it, something kicks off and you snap. And you, and you, you, you express something and, and maybe you think, oh, that wasn't very loving. And in the shame tape, say, call yourself a good parent. <laughs> if anybody really saw what an impatient person you really are, you wouldn't be worthy to connect and to belong. And then in that moment, you've got to say, I'm going to be kind to myself. Well done, you, you, you did the whole day. <laughs> and, and, and you were tired, and, and actually you were hungry, and maybe you needed to eat something a little earlier because your blood sugar levels were low. And, and okay, learn from that, and, and, and next time... Draw on grace a bit quicker. <laughs> Draw on food a bit quicker. It's okay. Go again. I'm not going to let that failure, that tape, define who I am. Be courageous to talk to somebody about when you're in shame. You know, you, you, you sent that email off and you think, oh no, it, 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 it just didn't sound right. I'm in shame, I've, 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 I've messed up, I should have said it better, written it better, I can't get it back. To talk to somebody who will meet it with empathy, not judgement and harshness, someone say, yeah, me too. Not the email thing, but yeah, I've made mistakes, I've got things wrong. Having groups of people around you think, I can be completely authentic and real and vulnerable, I've got this collection of people. 
Again, the, the doc, Dr. Brady Brown says, if you haven't got those people, make that a goal over the next year to say, I'm going to develop relationship with at least six people who's, who know me, who, 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 who know who I am, who see me, that I can be real and, and authentic. And relive the gospel every time you fear disconnection. Relive the gospel. Every time you get hauled back into that courtroom, think, what on earth am I doing back in court? <laughs> I'm, I was found not guilty. What am I doing in court again? In, in the natural, there's no criminal who takes them back into court every week. and says, um, I don't know if that judge who found me, or the jury who found me not guilty, could again find me not guilty, because I'm just not clear if I'm guilty or not. <laughs> just want to double check with somebody. Is the judge here? Is the jury here? Uh, no, your court case was adjourned. The jury found you not guilty. The judges let you go free. Believe me, if you were guilty, you would not be here right now. <laughs> and we need to do that in the spiritual. What, what have, why have I been hauled back into court for? Why am I collecting information for my defence for? Why am I listening to this, pers- this prosecution's argument? Yeah. I've been found not guilty. I don't care what you think. I don't care even what I think. I only care what God thinks. So God, we, we thank you that for the gospel. We thank you that the gospel is, is the most powerful message on the planet for dealing what we most fundamental need, that makes us worthy to connect, that makes us worthy to belong, that deals with any sense of I will be worthy one day if and when, and says no right now, worthy now, not if, not when, <coughs> Worthiness now. No need to wrestle for it. Just God just says to any here who you, you left your country where you had particular status and you've come into jobs that just have left you shamed. God says there's a worthiness that's been given to you and a status and a statue because of who you are and how heaven sees you. And he just breaks off struggle and resting and questing for it. And just says, I'm, I'm lifting your chin, I'm the lifter of your head, that you are wonderful, you are accepted now, you are more precious than all the jewels on the earth. And that you're not even to care what you think, but find out what he thinks. Yeah, we just speak that over as well. People maybe have struggled to have a child, and you think, I, I would be worthy if we had children. And... I'm not belittling the pain of that and the, and the struggle of that, but we want to break off the shame attached to that. The sense of if, I, if we had children, then I would be worthy to be called. I would be a mum, and then I would be worthy, and then I would be enough. And we just invite you out of the shame land of the, of the soul to come out of that and to find in him yeah. that value.